Well, good morning, Foothill Family Church. We hope you are joining us this morning from the comfort of your own couch. Make sure you have a cup of coffee and you came expecting this morning. We love you. We miss you. We are looking forward to being back together. Let's all worship him this morning. No virus can keep us apart. We're going to be together in spirit, worshiping our same Heavenly Father. Amen.
Just cry out, holy. 
praise you, Heavenly Father. We give you all the glory, Father God. We thank you that you inhabit the praises of your people. Wherever we're at this morning, God, that you are in our midst as we worship you together as a church family. We love you, Lord. No. 
say you will deliver you will prevail yes you will make a way and I will love you Lord my strength and I will
Hallelujah to our God. We worship you, Lord. You are our rock. You are our fortress. You've told us that you would not leave us comfortless. You would not leave us alone. You would not leave us as orphans. But we thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that lives on the inside of us. He dwells within us. And because of us, we can have peace in the midst of the storm. When the world around us rages... The quiet peace and assurance of the Holy Spirit, knowing the truth of the Word of God. We're grateful, Father. Thank you. Thank you for ministering to each person who is watching right now and in their homes. Thank you that the peace of God, Father, envelops them, rises up within them. You're our comforter, you're our strengthener, you're our standby. You're our advocate. We thank you. Hallelujah. Thank God for the peace of God that passes all understanding. Amen. Praise the Lord. There you go. We want to welcome those of you who are watching us this morning on Facebook Live. That's good. <laughs> I can't think. If you're playing. <laughs> Welcome to everybody who's watching us this morning on Facebook Live. We are the church. Amen. Uh, we want to uh, uh, invite you to, if you're watching on your phone, uh, that you can, there's a share button there by the church, and all you have to do is just press that share button, and it will go to your Facebook page. You know, these are the times that um, people are searching for answers, people are searching for peace, and thank God, because we have um, Him in us and the foundation of His Word in us, we have that. But we want to share that with others, so we invite you to share that on your Facebook page and invite other people to watch uh, the services with you. Uh, we want do want to let you know different things that are happening with the church. Um, you may can also watch also on Facebook Live. You can also watch um, our YouTube channel. Um, just go to YouTube and dial in Foothill Family Church, and you can watch live there. Many people are doing that on their um, TVs at home. That's how many of you are watching. Also, to let you know that we uh, upload these services immediately following the service to our web website. Our website is foothillfamily.com. There um, you can find, there's two different sections on our website. One is past series that Pastor Mike has taught, and the other is recent services as well as TV shows. So there's three different areas on our website that you can access, uh, feeding your spirit and keeping yourself encouraged and enjoy the teaching of the word. Um, I looked yesterday at some of uh, the series, past series that Pastor Mike has done. One is called The Greater One in, in, in You. Another is Healing Belongs to Us. 
There is a series there on revelation and also on righteousness. Um, recently, also, Pastor Mike, you know, uh, a scripture that has been very dear to me this last year that I have been claiming pretty much every day is that the Holy Spirit shows us things to come. And I can see things in my own personal life that the Holy Spirit led me to do, simple things. He led me to do uh, that made this particular time a little more simple for our family. And he will show us things to come. One thing he did in our church is Pastor Mike has been teaching, and he just concluded it, I think, two weeks ago, a series on biblical prosperity. Now, um, you can find that series on the service section of foothillfamily.com, um, not the, not the uh, somebody help me. <laughs> uh, anyway. I don't know. There's nobody here to tell me what to say this morning. So what am I supposed to My husband's over here. He never tells me what to say. So figure it out for yourself, okay? All right. But anyway, he recently taught on biblical prosperity and how appropriate that the Holy Spirit would minister that truth to our church right before all of this happened. So go to the service section on our website, and you can access those teachings on biblical prosperity, okay? We are streaming all our services live. They are not pre-recorded. You get it raw. It's We are here just like we're in church, except you're at home. Uh, they are at the same times of our services, 930 6 o'clock Sunday night, and then 7 o'clock on Wednesday nights. Um, also, we want to let you know that our um, uh, there was posted this morning um, for our children's ministry, um, uh, Lauren Smith, our children's pastor, she posted a video of a brief, abbreviated children's service for our kids. Um, we're going to be sending that link to all of our families as well. Um, so check that out. Um, also, um, this past week, we endeavored to contact all of our church family by phone. Um, if we did not call you or if you know someone in the church, you're concerned about them, you don't have their number, we want to give you contact information. Please communicate with us through this. You can email us at office at foothillfamily.com. It's going to be at the bottom of your screen. Or call the church office, 949-581-5070, extension 12. We can call in and get our messages. We can um, direct your questions either to office staff or we can also direct it to pastoral staff. So if there's anything that you need to communicate with us, um, we also, um, in our communication with our church family, we're checking on the elderly people in our church and all of our families. And I want to report that we have more people in our church who have told us, we're good, how can we help someone else? And we have more people who are saying this to us than, than who are really needing help. What a blessing. What a, what a blessing. Um, everybody is well in our church, all that we have spoken with. But please contact us this way if we don't have information of yours. If you did not receive a phone call, please be sure that we have the correct number. Call us or email us this information. Um, we also want to show you right now, um, give you a little bit of information about what's been going on this past week with our kids ministry. Um, 
the moms are home with their children, and so we have a few uh, slides that we're going to show you while I'm talking. Um, the uh, Recently, I'm not sure when, the nursing homes are no longer allowed to have visitors, and so there's a local visitor. Uh, uh, nursing home in our area, Lake Forest Nursing Home. And so um, our moms uh, communicated with each other and had their children um, write cards, draw pictures uh, this past week, um, and then they dropped them off at the house. You know, they had uh, Jessica Miller had a box outside of the front of her house. And so they came and they dropped off their pictures and their cards for the people in the nursing home to this box on the front porch. Jessica sanitized. Jessica knows all this. Hi, Jessica. Uh, she knows all of this. And so she's sanitizing everything for two days. And then she's going to take it to the Lake Forest Nursing Home. And so that's one of the things that's been going on with our children let us all look for ways that we can bless other people. Look for ways to, to you know, we can't, uh, we have to just come up with really creative ways to, to reach out and minister to others. Um, then another thing that Lauren did this last week is she um, baked some uh, cupcakes. I guess it was St. Patrick's Day this last week. I don't know. I'm not even sure what's the date. <laughs> I think that day came and went. I was unaware. Um, I don't have anything green in my closet anyway. Um, but anyway, um, so we're going to show you a little video uh, that she and her husband Chad made when they're um, delivering this to the homes this past week. Okay. Hey, FFC kids, we wanted to bless you guys this morning and make you smile. So be looking out at your front doorstep because you may be getting one of these. All right, here we go. All right, we are headed to our very first house right now. Okay, all right, here we go. Dropping off our first batch of cupcakes. Also, we want to let you know that was cute. Also, we want to let you know that we have been in touch with our missionaries as well as, fr as, well as friends of ours around the world. Um, we've been in touch uh, with people, uh, uh, missionaries in South America, in Europe, um, in Africa, and everybody. We have some others that are in the East, but we haven't, um, we have not been in contact with them this past East this past week. And um, so everybody is pretty much in the same place as America is. Um, Europe has been a little bit ahead of us, but everybody that we have spoken with, everyone is well. Everyone is looking for creative ways to minister to people in this time. They all send their love to our church. And so we just wanted to let you know, Australia's a little bit behind us. Um, they're not, but uh, they may get there. Um, so anyway, just remember to pray for our missionaries. Remember to pray for each other and remember to pray for our church and um, especially our, our president. Um, lastly, um, uh, 
people have asked us, how do we give now since we can't come to church? So we are... Um, Many of you may have not done this before, but if you're watching us on your cell phone or you have a smartphone, it's very easy to do. Um, there's information at the bottom of your screen there. You're just going to text 77977 to Foothill Family. No, I said that wrong. You text Foothill Family to 77977. I said it opposite. Anyway, try something. If you don't know, call the office and we'll have them talk to our son. I don't know. Anyway, praise the Lord. Um, let, us, uh, let us all pray together, okay? Father, we thank you so much for divine provision and protection for our church family. You have been so good, Lord. I thank you, Father, that um, no evil shall befall them, nor any plague come near their dwelling. I thank you that the peace of God reigns in the homes of the people of our church. I thank you, Father, that in the families of those of people in our church, even as we prayed together just a few weeks ago for families, Father, that the hearts and the uh, eyes of family members would be open and receptive to the gospel. In Jesus' name. Lord, we pray for our president, we pray for the leaders of our nation, that you would give them strength, that you would give them wisdom. We declare and thank you that this coronavirus is turned in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Father, for your hand that turns the tide of it. And we thank you, Lord, that in these days, the church rises in glory to boldly declare your word in faith, in peace, and in victory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I want to start this morning in Ephesians chapter 1. I want to speak to you the very thing that the Lord put on my heart, and that was the authority of the church. So we want to start in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. It says, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding, that word understanding also is translated spirit. The eyes of your spirit being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power, and might, and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and has put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Now, when Paul is writing to the church, and the, the church at Ephesus, as well as uh, most of the other churches that Paul wrote to, at the time that he wrote, were facing very difficult circumstances. They were under persecution. 
there were um, Roman emperors at that point in time that was uh, that were very much against the church. One of the the big reasons that the Roman uh, Empire was against the church to such a great degree is because Caesar claimed to be God, and Christians wouldn't uh, acknowledge that, and so they were under constant threat. Anything could happen at any time. They were living their lives on the edge, just waiting to see what's going to happen next. And Paul was in the same situation. He probably wrote this letter as many of the other letters were written from prison. And it would be just a very short period of time, a few short years perhaps, that, uh, that Paul would be beheaded for his faith. So when he writes these things to the church, he's writing to them in difficult and adverse circumstances. Now, when Paul talks about the authority that's been given to Jesus or the authority that Jesus is operating in, again, in Ephesians verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 20, the working of his mighty power is identified as being wrought or worked in Christ Jesus when God raised him from the dead and set him as, at his own right hand in the heavenly places. That place at God's right hand is a place of authority. Jesus appeared to the disciples after his resurrection and he said, all power, literally all authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And then he delegated that authority to the church. He told the church to go therefore and do the works that he did. Mark chapter 16 verse 15 says it this way. It says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. Then he lists five things. The first thing on the list is, uh, in the King James, it says, and they shall cast out devils. Well, you couldn't well cast out a devil if you didn't have authority over him. And so what the Bible is telling us, what Jesus said, literally, is that we would exercise authority over the devil. Now, folks, exercising authority of, over the devil doesn't mean we can change or, or prevent everything. For example, Paul did not tell the church in Ephesus to exercise authority over the devil so that the persecution would stop. The reality is those that live godly in Christ Jesus shall be persecuted. And as a result, Paul didn't tell the church to take authority over Caesar or Nero or anybody that was in power at that point in time because we don't exercise authority over human beings. We exercise authority over the work of the devil but not over human beings. Now, right here in Ephesians chapter 1, when it talks about the power that raised Jesus from the dead and set him at his own right hand, at God's right hand in the heavenly places, look with me to chapter 2, because Paul is still talking about the same thing he didn't write in chapter and verses. The translators uh, divided that for reference sake. But in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, and you hath he quickened, just like he quickened Jesus, just like he made Jesus alive and set him at his own right hand, it says, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin, wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the, to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom, among whom also we had our conversation or manner of life in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God who is rich in his mercy for his great love wherein he loved us, 
even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ, by grace are you saved, and has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The point that Paul is trying to get across by the Holy Ghost is that just as Jesus was quickened or raised again from the dead, we've been quickened or made alive from spiritual death. And just as Jesus was raised to be seated at the right hand of God the Father in that place of authority, so also are we seated with him in that same place of authority. Now in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that he is? Peter answers for the group and said, some of, some of the people are saying that you're Jeremiah or Elijah or one of the other prophets. And then Jesus turns it around and says, who do you say I am? And then Peter answers again and he says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said unto him, blessed art thou Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this unto thee, but my father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Peter's not the rock that the church is built on. The knowledge that Jesus is the Christ is the, is the rock that the church is built on. So he said, Jesus says, And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And Matthew chapter 16, verse 19. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The thing Jesus identifies with the church based on the knowledge that he's the Messiah, the Christ, the son of the living God. He immediately begins talking about authority. He says that the church will have authority to bind on earth and heaven will back us up. He said the church has authority to loose things on the earth and heaven will back us up. Now the word bind literally means to prohibit or refuse to allow the word loose just simply means to allow. So Jesus is saying, Jesus tells us, based on the knowledge, and, and please get this, the foundation truth that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, will enable and give the church authority to determine what they will allow in our own lives and what they will prohibit from taking place in our own lives. Now there's some things that the Lord has been dealing with me about since the last couple of weeks or in the last couple of weeks and one of those things has to do with God's big picture plan God's plan of redemption was all inclusive it was all encompassing it provides for us physically certainly it provides for us spiritually but it also provides for us mentally or in the soulish realm now Jesus coming to the earth and fulfilling that plan of redemption knew that he was delivering authority to the church he knew that one of the great works of the church and remember Jesus said in John chapter 14 the works that I do shall you do also and even greater works than these shall you do because I go unto my father he's talking about authority certainly one of the works that he did was cast out devils or exercise authority over the devil I'll use those terms interchangeably and that's part of the work that the church has to continue. Now, this was God's original plan. You may remember in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, after God had created everything else that there was, then he said, let us make man in our own image and after our own likeness and let them have dominion or authority over the works of our hands. 
God created man for the dominion, to exercise dominion on the earth. He created man, the single purpose that he created man for was to have authority over the work of his hands. We see that this authority was delegated to the disciples while Jesus was still here on the earth. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus gave, his authority, gave uh, his, the 70 authority over sickness and disease. And he told them to go into the cities two, two by two, two at a time, into the cities that he would come to later himself. And he commanded them to preach the gospel of the kingdom. In other words, preach that the will of God is the same for man here on the earth as it is when we get to heaven. And he said that any city, any people that received that, that they were to heal the sick. He just simply said, he simply told them that faith in what they were hearing, the truth that God wants things to be in our lives here on the earth just like it, they will be in heaven. That triggers, or for them, for the 70, the command was to heal the sick because all it takes is faith. All it takes is believing the truth of the word of God and the power of God will be released. And the disciples returned in Luke chapter 10, verse 17, it says the disciples returned and they marveled because even the devils were subject to them under the name, in the name of Jesus. Well, Jesus hadn't said anything about casting out devils, but when they encountered the work of the enemy, the name of Jesus was sufficient to set those people free and to deliver them. And Jesus responded and said, I beheld Satan fall as lightning from heaven. Now, Jesus wasn't saying that Satan fell as lightning from heaven when the 70 went out and cast out devils. He was telling them that Satan had been cast out into the earth after he and a third of the angels rebelled against God. So when Jesus is saying he beheld Satan fall from uh, heaven like lightning, he's simply referring to the fact that the devil is a defeated foe. He has a, uh, a legal right because of Adam and Eve's sin in the Garden of Eden. Satan has a legal right to operate on this world, in this world for a period of time. But folks, that time is coming short. That time is coming to an end. And Jesus said, Behold, I give unto you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. So he's identifying the church with authority once again. Over and over and over again, the Bible talks about the authority of the believer. Again and again, it talks about the authority of the believer. Now, when we talk about exercising authority over the devil, Jesus is certainly our example. He's certainly the pattern that we have to follow. And think about the encounters that Jesus had with the devil. Jesus was fearless. He was absolutely fearless in the face of sickness and disease, even communicable diseases like leprosy. Jesus wasn't concerned about him getting leprosy. He wasn't concerned about the work or the power of the devil. He was fearless when he faced the enemy. Now, one of the things that the Lord's been dealing with me about this is the fact that Satan and evil spirits are created beings. They're created beings. When Jesus encountered the devil in Matthew chapter 4, just after he's been baptized by John in the Jordan River, the Holy Ghost descends on him in bodily shape as a dove and stays there. He remains there upon him, signifying the anointing of God that came down to empower Jesus. Jesus. 
Then the devil, after 40 days of Jesus fasting, the devil comes to Jesus and begins to, to tempt him, trying to trip him up. Now, folks, what do you think Jesus thought about when he was being tempted of the devil? Let me read something to you real quickly from Ezekiel chapter 28, which tells us about the devil prior to the, the time where he becomes the tempter in the earth. I'm going to start, in, start reading in verse uh, uh, 12, Ezekiel 28, verse 12. Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. So this king of Tyrus that he's talking about or talking to isn't a human being. It's talking about the devil. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God, Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardius, topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and gold. The workmanship of thy tablets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee, notice this phrase, in the day that thou was created. It goes on in verse 14, thou art the anointed cherub that covers, and I have set thee so. Thou hast walked upon the holy mountain of God, Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created. Notice that phrase again. From the day that thou was created, till iniquity was found in thee. By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore, I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God. I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. This is when Satan rebelled against God with a third of the angels and he was defeated and cast back down to the earth it identifies that very clearly in verse 16 verse 17 goes on to say thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness I will cast thee to the ground I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities by the iniquity of thy traffic that word traffic is the word merchandising. It's talking about buying and selling. Therefore will I bring forth a fire from the midst of thee. It shall devour thee. And I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold thee. All they that know thee among the people shall be astonished at thee. Thou shalt be a terror and never shalt thou be any more. Now, folks, I want you to compare that to the um, account in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus is tempted of the devil. He sure doesn't look like this description in Ezekiel, 5, Ezekiel chapter 28. When Jesus is being tempted by the devil in Matthew chapter 4, and remember the temptation, there were three temptations. One is to turn stones into bread. The other is to fall down and worship Satan for the purpose of gaining the authority of the kingdoms of the world. And the other is to draw attention to himself by casting himself down from the pinnacle of the temple. Jesus responds to each of those temptations in exactly the same way. He says that it is written. And then he quotes the word. Now what do you think Jesus is thinking about when the devil is tempting him? I wonder if Jesus is remembering when he created the devil. I wonder if he's thinking about the creation of Lucifer. Now, I want you to look with me to something else real quickly, and that's over in Colossians chapter 1. Paul prayed a prayer for the Colossians in, uh, in just the same manner that he prayed for the church at Ephesus. 
And the probability is that he wrote both of these letters from jail at the same time. So I want to start in Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 to get the context of what he's saying. And notice, as I said, the similarities between this prayer in Colossians 1 and the prayer in Ephesians 1. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with knowledge, the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father which has made us meet or able to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Let's keep reading in verse 15. Who is the image of the invisible God, talking about Jesus, the firstborn of every creature, Verse 16 is what I want you to see. For by him, by Jesus, were all things created that are in heaven and that are in the earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before or in front of, has preeminence beyond all things. And by him, all things consist or continue to work. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. Now, what I want to draw your attention to is verse 16. All these created beings that are identified in Ephesians, remember the list in Ephesians, Jesus has been seated far above all principality and power and uh, dominion, Spiritual wickedness in heavenly places and rules of the darkness of this world. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 tells us that's what we wrestle against. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. Well, all those beings, all those evil spirits were created beings by Jesus. So when Jesus encounters the devil in Matthew chapter 4, I wonder if he had memory of when the devil was created. We don't know when the Bible says that Jesus came to the earth and stripped himself of his heavenly power and glory. He laid aside the power that he had before the worlds began. And he came to the earth as a man. I'm not sure if that would have included a memory wipe. I'm not sure if he would have been able to remember the things before. The reason that I say that, the reason I draw attention to that is that when Jesus came to the earth, he operated purely and solely as a man. Well, I'm not sure if he would have been able to do that if he was able to remember the things before that he experienced with the Father. But even if he didn't remember, he certainly knows Ezekiel chapter 28. He certainly would have confidence in the Word of God about how things were before the worlds were created. Now, here's my point. When Jesus is being tempted by the devil in Matthew chapter 4, look at the contrast between how the devil is now or how he was when he was tempting Jesus. And he, we would have no reason to think that it's any different, that he would be any different now than he was then. But notice the contrast in how he presented himself then 
and the way that God had created him. Every precious stone was his covering. He was the wisest of all of the creation, the, the things that were created by Jesus himself. Look at how far he's fallen. Look at how the defeat took place and, and what it affected when Satan and the third of the angels were cast out of heaven and into the earth. In the same way, when Jesus was, uh, was dealing with the madman from Gadara in Mark chapter 5, Jesus commands those evil spirits to leave his body, leave the body of this man that lived in the graves. Remember, it goes into some detail about how they couldn't bind him with chains successfully because he'd break the chains and fetters, which are uh, wooden pieces that uh, are attached to a person for, to immobilize them. Jesus tells him to leave and then ask him his name. And remember, the, the evil spirit that possessed the man said, My name is Legion, for we are many. The Bible identifies that he was possessed of the devil and had the legion. Well, one of the things that the evil spirits implored Jesus or asked Jesus to do was to, cast, uh, to send them out into the herd of swine that was uh, nearby. And remember, Jesus told them to go. Well, one thing that, that strikes me as interesting about that story, that, uh, that happening, was that angels don't try to embody human beings. We don't have any other place in the Bible that indicates to us that the angels seek to have a physical body. But if these are disembodied spirits, and I don't have the answers on this stuff, folks. I don't know one way or the other which way it has to be. I, I, I reason it out and think I come to a conclusion, but I could be completely wrong. But these evil spirits were seeking a body to express themselves. They were seeking to have some kind of flesh because without that flesh, they couldn't express themselves and operate here in the earth. So when Jesus commands them to leave and go into the swine, the swine run down the, the steep place, the cliff, run over the cliff and drown themselves. And that created quite a stir in that area, as you well may imagine. But Jesus was able to stand fearlessly before the devil whether it was sickness or disease, whether it was demonic possession, no matter what it was, he was able to stand fearless before these things because he knew who the devil was. Or maybe a better way to say that is he knew who the devil wasn't. The devil made a very poor showing, very poor comparison of himself when he presented himself to Jesus as compared to how he was created. Now, here's the, I want to go a little step further with this. And that is, since these were created beings, the devil and evil spirits, since these are created beings, what were they originally created for? Well, there's a lot of information that we don't have access to concerning how the things were on the world before the Genesis account, the Genesis 1 account of the recreation of the earth. But one thing that we know for sure is that these evil spirits were not created to be principalities or powers or rulers of the darkness of this world or wicked spirits in the heavenlies. Those are the things that the Bible says we wrestle against. Those are the influences of the devil 
that the Bible says Jesus and we were raised above, far above. But one thing we know for sure, one thing that we know for sure is that these things were not created to operate as they are operating today. And folks, because Jesus knew that, I believe that had a lot to do with the fact that he was fearless when he faced the adversary. He was absolutely fearless. I'm reminded of the time in Mark chapter 9 when the father brings his son who has these fits. They sound like epileptic seizures or something similar to that. Jesus wasn't there with his disciples when the father brought his son. And so it says that the disciples who had been given authority over the devil and, and the power to heal sickness and disease, it says that they weren't able to help him. And so he, you can just hear the desperation in his voice when, he, when Jesus finally comes to them inquiring about what took place. Jesus knew the answer immediately. The disciples weren't wise enough to, to uh, understand. But Jesus knew immediately that it was a lack of faith because it's only a lack of faith that ever hinders the power of God from working. You remember in Mark chapter 6 when Jesus was in his own hometown of Nazareth. It says that he told them that he was anointed to heal the sick and to perform the same kinds of miracles that the people of Nazareth had heard that he had done in Capernaum. But they wouldn't believe in him. They thought they knew him. He grew up there in Nazareth and they didn't see any difference between him and them when he was growing up or in all their interactions with him throughout his life. And so they refused to believe. And in Mark chapter 6, verse 5, it says Jesus marveled. Well, first of all, it says he was unable. He could there do no mighty work. It doesn't say that he wouldn't. It says that he couldn't. He could there do no mighty work, save or accept. He laid his hands upon a few sick folks and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. He marveled because of their unbelief. Now, why didn't Jesus just make them believe? Why didn't Jesus just do something as the Son of God and make them believe. Why didn't he just do some healing miracle? It says the only results he was able to get in Nazareth was a few folks with minor ailments, not too much wrong with them. He laid hands on them and healed them. But even that wasn't enough to make the people of the city believe. So why didn't Jesus just force a miracle? Why didn't he just heal somebody that was blind or somebody that was crippled or somebody that had leprosy? Why didn't he just force himself and the power of God to produce one of these results? to see if that would make a difference in the people's level of faith. Because, folks, God doesn't usurp authority over man's will. It's up to mankind what we will or will not believe. It's our choice to determine what we will believe and therefore what we will receive from God. So Jesus marveled because of their unbelief. He said, it says next that he went around about their cities and villages teaching. He's trying to inspire faith. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word, according to Romans 10, 17. So he's trying to impress upon them the importance of belief. Because Jesus knew all it takes is a little bit of faith. Back to the Mark chapter 9 story where the, the father is unable to secure any help from it for his son. Jesus comes on the scene and the father finally cries out in desperation and says, Lord, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and, and heal my son. And Jesus responds, it's not a matter of what I can do. It's a question of what you can believe. Now, folks, here again, 
I'm amazed at Jesus' fearless attitude. I know the Bible tells us to do the same works that he, do, that he did and even greater works than these will we do because he went to the Father. I understand that we're supposed to do the same things that he did and occupy until he comes. But without Jesus' fearlessness, without the understanding that Jesus had that would enable us or anyone to be the same kind of fearless and to have the same kind of fearless attitude, how are we going to do those things? The Lord has been impressing upon me that these principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in higher heavenly places, these evil spirits are operating in, in ways and in areas that they were never intended to, to operate. They're exercising influence over the world in a way that's contrary and counter-purpose to what God originally created them to be. They are the ultimate rebel holders of authority. And until the church finds out about that, until the church comes to the realization of who the devil is and who he isn't, and who evil spirits are and who they are not, and what work they do in the earth as compared to the things that they were created to do, then I don't think the church is ever going to stand up and be the real church that Jesus had died for us to be. Now, one of the things that Jesus came to do, and again, here's God's big picture approach. One of the things that Jesus came to do was to restore righteousness unto mankind. To restore righteousness unto mankind. Now, the church has... Um, real spiritual ways of looking at things like righteousness. But righteousness is identified, one of the definitions of righteousness is just rightness. In other words, a restoration to how things used to be. And we certainly see that as a part of the work of Jesus. For example, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21 says, God made Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. It's talking about a reconciliation. It's talking about an exchange. Jesus exchanged his righteousness for our sin so that we could have and operate and be born into the family of God and thereby re becoming righteous. Now, righteousness is something that you have to accept by faith because we don't always look the way that the Bible says Jesus made us to be. But the important, one important element of this is that righteousness brings us back to the place of rightness, rightness with God, rightness with the creation, rightness with the dominion and the authority that God intended for us to have and made us, created us to have. One of the things that blows me away, really, when, we, when you think about it and do some meditating on it, is the Bible says in Psalm chapter 8, it talks about how the, the dominion plan of God was consummated through his creation of the earth. Let me read this to you. Psalm 8, verse 3. It says, When I consider the heavens, the works of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? Now, Hebrews tells us that this is an angel 
that's looking at the creation of man and the purpose for man's creation. And the angels, Paul said, the angels desire to look into our salvation. So this is, according to the word, this is an angel that's hearing God say Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. Let us make man in our own image and after our own likeness and let them have dominion over the works of our hands. And so the angels are, are hearing God's plan for mankind and they, they question it. They say, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Now we, also, we have to know, we have to recognize that this is certainly after the defeat of Satan. This is after Satan and his one-third of the angels that rebelled against God were cast down into the earth, cast to the earth as lightning, as Jesus said in Luke chapter 10. And so then when the creation of the earth that we know or the recreation of the earth, however you want to say it, when that takes place and God expresses or reveals his plan for man to have authority on the earth, they've already seen how that Satan or Lucifer, who was placed in a position of honor, took a third of the angels and rebelled against God. Now the angels are saying, now God, you're going to make the earth, recreate the earth in such a way as to give dominion to this thing that's called man. Now, one of the things that that has to mean, folks, is whatever there was before the recreation account in Genesis chapter 1, whatever was there, it wasn't man. It, they may have been spirit beings. Most likely they were. But it couldn't have been man because the angels were astonished at God's plan to create this thing called man and to give him dominion on the, on the earth. So he says, what is man? This angel speaks. What is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels. This word angels is the word Elohim. I think this is a place where the translators just punted. They came to the word Elohim. Thou hast made him a little lower than God himself. I don't think the translators could accept that. The translators didn't seem to understand that man is above the angels. So, in, so they, in their thinking, translated this in such a way that man would be below the angels. Thou hast made him a little lower than Elohim, God himself, and has crowned him with glory and honor. Thou hast made him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. Under his feet. When God created man and made him to have authority on the earth, in effect, Adam and Eve became the gods of this world. That didn't mean they, came, they had creative power like God. It didn't mean they had the same strength or ability of God. But they had the authority to do everything that was necessary and needful to maintain the earth as God created it to be. Well, we know that they failed miserably. Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, and everything changed. Now the influences upon the earth, which were God and, and his word alone, now those influences changed to where these evil spirits set up their rule and their reign as principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in higher heavenly places. So when the angels look at God's plan for man, we have to recognize 
that Jesus coming to the earth, at least in part, was to restore all things to rightness. Again, we're talking about righteousness. But that righteousness is intended, was from the beginning, and is intended even now today and will be through the end of the church age to produce certain results. For example, the first time the word righteousness appears in the scriptures in Genesis chapter 15. It's when God appears to Abraham and makes a covenant. Now, the preceding chapter, you may remember when we were talking about Bible prosperity. The preceding chapter, Genesis 14, tells us about how that Abraham went and defeated the enemies to deliver Lot and the people of Sodom and Gomorrah back to the king of Sodom. You may recall in that story that Melchizedek comes out and meets Abraham and, and Abraham gives tithes of all the things that he had to Melchizedek. The king of Sodom tries to make a deal with Abraham and says, you keep all the stuff, all the spoils, the money and the riches and whatever you gained as a result of this victory over the, the enemies of Sodom. But give me back the people. And Abraham won't have anything to do with that. He refuses and he says, I don't even want a shoestring from you because I don't want you to go around telling people that you made me rich. Now that attitude of putting God first, of his relationship with God being more important to him than the money that he could have had by the defeat that he had just gained, sets up a situation in chapter 15 of Genesis where God appears to him and says, Fear not, Abram, for I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And it tells us that Abraham, I think it's verse 4, chapter 15, verse 4 of Genesis. It tells us that Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. First time the word righteousness shows up. And as a result, God goes further and makes a covenant with him. Now, prior to this point in time, God had an agreement with Abraham, but it wasn't really a covenant. It wasn't a bona fide blood covenant. But this point, at this point in Genesis chapter 15, God creates the covenant or makes the covenant between himself and Abraham. So he's drawing Abraham closer and closer, step by step. As Abraham grows and develops in faith, he gets closer and closer and closer unto God. And this covenant experience, this making of the covenant experience, is something that goes into great detail about God's complete commitment to Abraham. It's literally a covenant that God makes with himself. Jesus, who represents God in the covenant, makes a covenant with Jesus, who represents Abraham in the covenant. And so he divides and does all the things that were necessary to make the blood covenant. The animals were cut in half. The blood was placed on the ground or, or strategically collected in a certain specific way. And then Jesus walks back and forth, representing both man and God in this covenant. And it sets the stage for everything that would belong to and come to belong to the nation of Israel. The second time that the word righteousness shows up in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 30. It's when Jacob, who has been cheated by his father-in-law Laban, 
for almost 20 years, decides that he wants to return to his own country. And Laban asks, Laban says, acknowledges, I know that I'm blessed because of you. And so he said, ask me what you want me to give you for your wages for the time that you've been with me. And Jacob says something real interesting. He says, I don't want anything from you. He comes up with the plan of taking the spotted or the, the speckled cattle and separating them from the ones that look better and stronger. He comes up with the idea, and this has to be inspired by God. He comes up with the idea to set these speckled or striped rods, pieces of wood in front of the cattle so that they will produce more and more of the speckled and ring-straked cattle, whatever ring-straked is, I'm not sure about that. But nevertheless, he says, this, he says it this way. He says, I don't want anything from you, Laban. He said, I want my righteousness to provide for me. And it, as the end result is he winds up with almost all of Laban's wealth to go back to his own country with. So this righteousness, this rightness, is intended and will produce a change in the physical and material realm and not just a change in the, in the spiritual realm. So when we look at the, the restitution of all things, in Acts chapter 3, Peter talks about on the, uh, after the man at the beautiful gate is healed. Peter talks about the, the restoration of all things. Well, the restoration of all those things include the authority that God originally intended for mankind to have. The restitution of all things includes the church operating in authority from the right hand of the Father. And it's all because of righteousness. Jesus was fearless before the devil because he knew who he was. He knew who the devil was. And he knew who the devil wasn't. With that in mind, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 41. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Folks, I want you to get this. The Bible talks about our righteousness, who we are in Christ, the fact that we've been born again by the blood of Jesus. The fact that we have been made righteous, no matter what we look like to ourselves or feel like or what knowledge we have of our own past failings or shortcomings or sins or, or whatever, the Bible tells us that our righteousness is the foundation to live and to rule and to reign on this earth. Romans chapter 5 verse 17 talks about those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in this life through one Christ Jesus. Righteousness is the foundation. It's the reason for why we can have authority and reign on the earth. Because we are operating in the manner in which God created us. We're created beings too. And we are operating as the church in the name of Jesus to perform the very things that we were designed to do, that we were created to do. Unlike the devil and the evil spirits in the world, 
that are operating as principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in higher heavenly places. We're the only ones on the earth, meaning the body of Christ, we are the only ones on the earth that are operating according to the manner in which God created us to function. There's no other influence in the world that is. And that's part of the source or part of the, the foundation that we have to be able to do the works of Jesus. Let me read verse 10 again, Isaiah 41, verse 10. Fear thou not. This is God speaking to his people. Don't be afraid, for I am with thee. Don't be dismayed. This word dismayed means confounded or broken down. Don't be dismayed, for I am thy God. Yeah, but I feel so helpless. I feel just so weak. Well, I'll strengthen thee. But I feel helpless. Yeah, I will help thee. But I just feel like such a, an unworthy sinner. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Now, I want you to look with me over to, to Isaiah chapter 54. Two verses of Scripture here I want you to see. Verse 14, first of all, it says, In righteousness thou shalt be established. This word established means unmovable. Folks, we're living in a day when the world around us is being shaken to the core. Who in the world would have imagined just a month ago the changes that have taken place in, in our world and, and even in our own country. We've never experienced, in the history of mankind, we've never experienced a change like this in such a rapid manner. Some of the things that, uh, that are taking place and the things that are most probably coming sound a lot like the things in the Bible when God turned around what would be a sure defeat for Israel, his people Israel, and turned it around into a great victory. I'm thinking of Second Chronicles chapter 20 when Jehoshaphat was the king of Israel. And it tells us about the five enemy kings that come out against him. You remember that he called for a fast. And as they prayed, the Spirit of the Lord came upon a certain prophet, Jehaziel, I think was his name. And that was when he prophesied and said, Thus saith the Lord, the battle is not yours but mine. Tomorrow go out against them in a certain place and see the salvation of the Lord. Well, they did just that. And the Bible tells us that before they really got there, Jehoshaphat put the singers and the praisers out in front of the army. And so they began to sing, for the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. And as they began to sing and to praise, the Lord said ambushments so that the enemy armies, these five enemy armies of Israel, begin to fight against each other and destroy each other. And it takes them three days to carry away the spoil, the riches and, and the things that are left behind. We're starting to see some of those kind of things now. We see the enemy, and this stuff is the work of the enemy. This virus is certainly the work of the enemy. And a lot of the, the response to this stuff seems to be the influence of the enemy too. Now, I'm not throwing rocks at anybody. I know everybody that's in positions of power doing the best that they can. But like I said before, look how quickly things are changing. Look how quickly the economy of this country has changed. That which so many people have dedicated their lives to as far as making money and, and, and providing wealth for themselves and their families and so forth. Look at how quickly that wealth has been eaten up. It just evaporated within a matter of a week or two. 
Thank God we have something that keeps us from being broken down in the result, as a result of this stuff. We've got God's promise to be with us. But again, notice verse 15 or verse 14 of Isaiah 54. It says, In righteousness thou shalt be established. Folks, the church needs to be the one thing in this earth that doesn't move, that can't be moved. It'd be nice if that would be the case for the church worldwide, but it certainly is the case for those who stand upon the word and, and rely on God's word as their answer, as the source of their supply. So it says, In righteousness thou shalt not, or in righteousness thou shalt be established, in other words, shall not be moved. Thou shalt be far from oppression, for thou shalt not fear. Please notice that. Oppression stays away when we refuse to fear. It's the lack of fear that we can have and that we can operate in that keeps oppression from us. It goes further and it says, And from terror, terror shall not come nigh thee either, for it shall not come near. Notice verse 17. This is the one that most everybody is familiar with. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. No weapon formed against us shall prosper because of the righteousness that we stand in. No weapon formed against us shall prosper. That weapon would include sickness and disease of all types, including viruses or COVID-19 or coronavirus, whatever it's, whatever it's called. I'm not sure what to call it. I just know where it came from. In righteousness thou shalt be established. In righteousness thou shalt be established. No weapon formed against thee shall prosper. And every tongue that rises against us in judgment we condemn. Well, we know the devil's quick to accuse us. The devil is quick to, to judge us. But we can condemn his voice because our righteousness is of God. Our heritage, our inheritance includes standing against the devil as he accuses us of sin because we've been made righteous by the blood of Jesus. We've been made righteous by the blood of Jesus. Folks, the thing that I guess I want to leave you with this morning is the thing that the Lord's been dealing with me about from the beginning of this stuff the last couple of weeks. And that is, we, as children of God that were created to have dominion on the earth, the family of God was designed, created, and put here on this earth for one and only one purpose, and that is to exercise authority here and now. No matter what influence there is of the devil, no matter what principalities or powers or rulers of the darkness of this world or spiritual wickedness in high and heavenly places, no matter what they're doing, we have the right to stand as the righteous people of God to, to maintain our divine health, and not only that, but to be provided for by the riches of God's glory in Christ Jesus during this time of economic upheaval. We don't have to be afraid of the devil. 
we can declare, even as God said concerning us, that we do not fear for God is with us. We are not dismayed for God is on our side. He will strengthen us. He will help us. He will uphold us with the right hand of his righteousness. And in that righteousness we are established. Oppression shall be far from us for we do not fear. And terror shall not come near unto us. No weapon formed against us shall prosper. And every tongue that rises against us in judgment we shall condemn. We do condemn. For our righteousness is of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the sacrificial work of Jesus, the substitutionary work of Jesus. We acknowledge, Father, that Jesus was made sin for us who knew no sin, that we may, might be made the righteousness of God in him. So we declare that we are healed by the stripes of Jesus. We declare that no sickness, no disease can come nigh unto us. We declare that we walk in divine health. Furthermore, we say, believing in our hearts, we say with our mouths that any coronavirus or any other type of virus or any bacteria, any germ, any evil thing from the enemy that comes in contact with our body dies instantly. We refuse to accept the coronavirus into our church family. But in Jesus' name, we stand in divine health because of the finished work of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Father, we love you, and we thank you for all that you've done for us. And Father, we look at this time, these last days, these perilous times. We look at these times as days of glory. We thank you that you show yourself strong. The more and more things turn upside down in this world, the more panicked and desperate the world becomes. We maintain our peace because we trust in you. We thank you for keeping us in perfect peace because our minds are stayed on you, because we stand upon your word, because we speak life and health to our bodies. And we thank you, Father, for doing great and wonderful things to reveal yourself, to reveal your power, to reveal your goodness to your people. Thank you, Father, that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. We declare our church, Foothill Family Church, to be free from sickness and disease in every possible respect. In Jesus' name. We thank you for your provision too, Father. We thank you that your word is true. Even as David said, he was once young and then he became old. But nowhere in his life did he see the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. Thank you, Father, for supplying, supplying us by your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I thank you, Father, that because we stand on your word, 
no matter what happens in the world around us, we prosper and we increase by your very hand. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining with us this morning. We hope the word was a blessing to you. Have a great day. Tune in tonight at 6 o'clock for Healing School if you can. We'll be on Facebook Live and YouTube as well.